Hello, my name is Alvin Summers, and I'm pastor of East Campus of First Baptist Church Indian Trail. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church of one race, seeking to lead everyone we meet into an everyday walk with Jesus. I am so thankful, so grateful, that you have taken time out of your schedule to share in our message for today. I pray that it will strengthen your life, encourage your walk, and empower you to be salt and light in the world. Once again, thank you for viewing our message. I pray, God, that it will bless your life. Let's go into the service. Amen. Uh, but, but, but we're grateful to be here, grateful to be on the property, grateful to see what God is going to do over the next few weeks. So bring your lawn chairs. Tell people, tell people. It wouldn't hurt me to fill up this whole environment. All up under them shade trees, folk everywhere. Amen, somebody. We got enough property so that everybody can be, I, I promise, six and seven, eight, nine feet apart. So just tell somebody so we can worship God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, where I was last week, but we want to move down in that text in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. <coughs> Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. And the word of our Lord and Savior reads as followed. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Let's pray. God, bless us together. Be glorified in the place. Be magnified. Use me now. Lift me that I may lift you. And Lord, I give you all of the glory for what happens in the exchange. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. People of God, say amen. But could I just want to wrestle a little bit with this thought, the mediator. Last week, last week we talked about the author and finisher of our faith. Today, we want to wrestle with the mediator. On last week, we wrestled with the idea of Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith. We determined that he is the chief leader and completion of what faith is and means. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, vested with all power and authority. By his obedient death on the cross, he showed us how to live a life of faith totally and completely dependent on God for all we are need and intend to accomplish. And while the cloud of witnesses is full of faith stories from chapter 11, they are not the quintessential expression of what faith is, means, and does. The writer of Hebrews sought to tell his congregants that faith has its culmination and preeminent expression in what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, we as well as they should look unto Jesus as the author and completion of our faith. The writer also sought to empower the Jewish and Hellenistic Christians through the witness of Christ not to give up on their journey as believers. Sometimes it gets tough out there and you feel like quitting. He told them, in other words, don't quit. Stay in there as in verse 4 of chapter 12 states. He says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Your life has not looked like Jesus. There are no drops of sweat-filled blood beating up on your head or blood streaming down your face or lashes on your back. So stop complaining about this or that. Does anybody need that word right there? Be steadfast and unmovable. See the hardships you face as chastisement from the Lord as opposed to punishment. 
His chastisement represents love and not anger. Those the Lord loves, he what? He chastises, and out of it, we will learn how to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which will enable you and I to be strengthened and healed as we work on behalf of Christ. The writer then moves them to the practical. He reminds them to pursue or go after peace with all people. Don't wait for there to be peace or for peace to come to you. Pursue it. And while you are doing that, lead a separated life unto Christ, which attaches you to the holy nature of God. For without holiness shall no one see the Lord. Don't let bitterness or other issues defile you as you deal with people. Interaction with people can cause a person to lose their perspective and godly witness. Can I have anybody say amen? Yeah, dealing with people can mess you up. Amen. Sin is always waiting to infect people with a disposition of iniquity so that we justify our sinful acts as either necessary, convenient, or appropriate. That's the power and capacity of unchecked sin. And here is where we will come uh, connect the dots for today. See, despite the glorious work and example of Christ, we are still betwixt two paradigms. We are here versus what we should, what we are here versus what we have become over there. The predicament we have associated with here and the requirement of what's going on over there. Our sin creates a climate that keeps, keeps us in constant tension with a holy God. Though we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, there is still the need to be sanctified daily from our sin condition. To admit to our sin, listen, is to admit our need for a Savior. To admit our need for a Savior is to plead for the presence and the blood sacrifice from which we declare him Lord of all. If Christ is Lord of all, he is Lord above all. He is the supreme ruler and authority on who we are, how we understand our life and what we expect from life as we live. His authority is absolute. It did not come easy. He had to endure the hostility from sinners against himself. He was innocent of all charges, but for the sake of the purpose of God on our behalf, Jesus suffered. It is from here. They want, we want to address our text for today. Verse 24 calls Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Now, the term or title is interesting in that it is akin to the idea of Jesus being our high priest, but not the same. It has overtones of Jesus litigating our case as an advocate in the high court room of heaven. Uh, it even implies to some degree a messianic ring, but it is not that. The idea of a mediator has no real formal attachment from the mouth of Jesus himself during his earthly ministry. But the concept is present throughout John's writings as well as Paul and the book of Hebrews. Everywhere you look you'll see Jesus acting in a manner consistent with mediation. But to understand what Jesus is as our mediator, let's look at what a mediator entails and means. Now, according to Albert Obeck, a mediator is a neutral personality whom both sides can trust. It may be even seen as an umpire or the negotiator of peace. He may guarantee the agreement. He's a witness to a legal transaction. He's the guarantor, if you will, 
and execution of the agreement. Occasionally now, the mediator will even go up and pay the bond for somebody themselves. Oh, my goodness, that right there made me shout all by myself. Listen, the mediator or negotiator in the sense of one who is establishing a relationship which would not otherwise exist had they not gone through that particular person. Now, when we look at Jesus, each one of these identif identifiers could speak to who Jesus is in us and what he did for us. On many occasions in the New Testament, Jesus acted in the capacity, while the title of mediator did not come from the lips of Jesus, it did rise from the community that interacted with Jesus. We see this in an example when four friends brought a man to him who was paralyzed. Listen to the account in Mark chapter 2. It says, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Even then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near, when they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now notice how Jesus acted as a guarantor of peace on behalf of the man by forgiving him of his sins. So much so, my brothers and sisters, that the people who saw it thought he was blaspheming. In another instance, Jesus speaks of the relationship he has with the Father and his ability to offer rest to those who come to him. This is found in Matthew 11, verse 27 through 30. It says, all things have been delivered to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Once again, y'all, Jesus may not call himself a mediator, but the community sees him as such and attaches the title to who he is. Now, back to our text and the writer of Hebrews. When we come to verse 18 of Hebrews, uh, uh, verse 18 of, of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer seeks to clarify the difference between where they were and where God is. Remember when I told you that we live in a place of tension. We are betwixt two paradigms. We are what we are here versus what we have become over there. When the writer describes from verses 18 through 21, the experience of the people of Israel as they interacted with the holy God on Mount Sinai, he was trying to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, the visible and the invisible. All at the same time, he was reminding them that this is what they have come to. It was an effort to get his audience to understand who God is and what they were was more than different. They were worlds apart. God was so otherworldly, in fact, that he was untouchable. Yet there was a mountain in front of them they could that could not be touched. However, if anyone or anything touched the mountain, they were to be killed. 
Now listen to Exodus chapter 19, verses 12 through 13. It says, you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourselves, that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. When we read this account, there is no mistaking the difference between where people are and where Jesus is. God wanted people, the people of Israel, to know that wherever he rested or abode, it was holy and separate from them. They could not mingle or become too familiar with God, even though God was trying to interact with them as a people. God says of himself in Deuteronomy 32, 39, Now see that I, even I am, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. In Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 through 6, it says, listen to God. Again, talking about himself. It says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you though you have not known me. They that know me from the rising of the sun to the setting, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is what? No other. I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. Calamity. I am the Lord. Do I, the Lord, do all these things? Listen, there is this ominous foreboding about who God is that cannot be overlooked or taken lightly. One of my criticisms for modern day interaction with God is our familiarity. In my opinion, God is too common. We brought him so low that somehow we lost respect for who he is. And while saying that, I know how and why it happened, and it is found in our text for today. I'm not saying that Jesus is not our friend or in common places with us. I'm just saying that because he is king of kings and lord of lords, he is worthy of an elevated place in our lives, and we ought to carry him that way. After listening to the exchange from the writer concerning the touchable, untouchable nature of God, he flips the script and brings us into the community of believers. Listen. The place that got that the place that gave Jesus the title of mediator was the community. But before he gets there, he uses some descriptors. He says in verses 22 and 23, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, Mount Zion, y'all, was considered to be the place where God resided. Yeah, the literal place was a hill on which the Jebusite fortress of Jerusalem was built. King David took it and made it his stronghold. Kendall, Kendall easily says this. He says, in Hebrews and Revelations, the usage shifted. Mount Zion has become another name from, for heaven the eternal dwelling place of God and his people, rather than the temporal dwelling of God and his people. The place where God resides has shifted because of Jesus. It went from being a physical place where people gather to the heart of the people wherever they are. He is a living God living in the hearts and minds of his people. Jerusalem represents the place of the community of believers who call Jesus Christ Lord, a place 
called heaven. They have been transported into the cloud of witnesses by way of Jesus the Christ into an innumerable company of angels. They are not alone in their struggle, so when they feel like quitting, those people and us, they need to look over their head. Look over their head and celebrate him who sits on the throne because he is the captain of the Lord's host, of which they slash we now belong. These people have come to the General Assembly and the Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven. These people are now a part of the Ecclesia, a group of people that now identify themselves as the people of God. There is nothing like knowing that you belong to Jesus. Y'all ain't saying nothing out there. Ain't nothing like knowing that you and God have a relationship that cannot be changed or removed. He is a faithful God, and there's none like him. Now, when you look at that text and you see the narrative, you get this idea that the writer is trying to remind them that they're not in this thing by themselves. They've come to a place where they sit in a guaranteed spot because of Jesus, the mediator of their faith. When he finally gets to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, he's addressing his idea that Jesus has done something that only Jesus could do. Now, that right there is shouting material because it implies that Jesus couldn't help himself but be a little, you know, one-sided. Uh, he, he put on a flesh suit so he could be like us, but he was not completely like us because he was God in the flesh. So while he was negotiating agreement on our behalf, he was making sure he didn't mess up his relationship with the one that sent him. Y'all ain't shouting out here today. And that's critical. That's critical as you understand the idea of who Jesus is because it would seem that he should have been neutral. But Jesus, because he was like us, but also like him, it put him in a unique position. Because when we do stuff we have no business, it puts us in a place to represent and understand that Jesus is our advocate and finisher. He's a completion, but he also, he's mediating what's going on in our lives with a holy God. Amen, somebody. There's another part in the text that I like in particular. It says, just men made perfect, registered. I, I, not long ago, um, I went, I had to go, this is going to come a few, few years back, I had to go to Africa to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And y'all, I misread the temperature. It was Celsius, but I read it Fahrenheit. Oh, my goodness. So what I did is I packed a lot of, Warm clothes. I went to Africa, y'all, with a London fog. With long coat and with stuff all over me. And I thought to myself, what in the world is going on? When I finally landed, they put me in the front seat up with the driver. I thought, man, this is preferential treatment. When I look back on it now, they must have been trying to watch me because they thought I was going to do something crazy. When I got to the front gate where they do customs, they looked at me and said, in a foreign language, Congolese or French, they were essentially saying, what you doing here? What, what you doing over in the DRC? I couldn't understand a word they were saying. So I just kind of, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Then they start saying something else in French. I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to jail across the water. And so I stood there and I talked and I tried to get them to understand. Then I played a David, y'all, because I looked at one of the guards and they did this right here. 
In other words, they say, give me a little money and I'll let you go in. But I'm thinking to myself, but I'm registered to be here. I have papers from your governmental office that says I can come over here. But she was telling him I need to pay. But I said, I'm already registered. Y'all ain't shout over that. You won't catch it in a minute. The enemy wants you to try to work your way into heaven by the good deeds you do. But you need to remind him that you don't get into heaven by your good deeds. You don't get into heaven by the stuff you do. But you get into heaven because Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. And you're registered to be over there. Amen, somebody. And by virtue of that, when you look over your head, you see your new dwelling place. So what I want to say to you is don't get discouraged. Don't be bothered. Don't be broken when you feel like quitting. I want to encourage you like the writer of Hebrews. Look over your head and remind yourself that Jesus has mediated the case and you're registered in heaven. Hear me now. But if you don't know him, if you don't know him now, when you get to the gate, you're going to have some problems. Because the truth of the matter is you probably won't make it to the gate. But, but, but if you got your paperwork in order, when your eyes close on this side, you have your eyes open on the other side. That's the reason why sometimes I struggle with believers who get caught up in the fear of dying. Because guess what? This ain't our home no way. This is not where we finish up anyway. Our home is on the other side of this life. Hallelujah, somebody. So when the writer says Jesus is our mediator, guess what he did, y'all? He established a new covenant. Now, this is interesting word in the text because this new covenant is not something new and different, listen, but something new as in young full of vitality and strength. In other words, listen, it ain't going to never run out of juice. Oh, y'all don't know what to shout about. That means it's going to work for you, your children, your children's children, and your children's children's children. It's not ever going to run out. Then the writer did another thing in the text. He said, this sprinkling is better than the blood of Abel. In other words, this blood doesn't just speak from the ground. <laughs> it speaks from the ground. It speaks in us. And it speaks in heaven. Which means that when Jesus died on the cross, he took his blood with it. So that wherever he goes and whatever God sees, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of his son. And that sprinkling has made us the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that right there is shouting material. That's shouting material right there. That I'm covered wherever I go and at any time because, because he's got some blood 
on me. He's got some blood around me. And he's got some blood wherever I'm going. And when my eyes close on this side, I've got blood that's going to register me and let me in on the other side. Hallelujah, somebody. He didn't just do it so we could live a good life down here. He did it so that we could live a life good forever. Now, I don't know about you, but that right there is worth shouting about. If you know not Jesus in the pardon of your sin, and you have somehow or another been trying to work your way in, as a little boy, little girl, you came out and gave the Lord your life, but you really didn't give him, you really didn't give him your life. You just kind of went down because you saw and you felt this something happening to you. But if you know beyond a shadow of doubt that he's Lord of your life, you're covered. But if you don't know that he is Savior and Lord, hear me when I say, today is a good day to get your life right with Jesus. Today. Today is a good day. To close the contract. On a Memorial Day weekend, the old you can die and the new you can get up. You would never forget this weekend. And you could always say in your spirit, our God reigns. Anybody with me in this place today? So what I want to do is something today that I can't do on television. I want to do an invitation and I want you to sing with me. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you were blessed by the message. If by chance you don't know our great, grand, and glorious Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Him. It's really simple. Repent of your sins. Ask the Lord to come into your heart. to Forgive you of those sins. Make Him the Lord of your life. It will bless you eternally. If you do that, He comes in, sups with you, spends time with you, and you become His. It's not hard. Just say yes and mean it, and He'll save your life. If you by chance say that and you make him your savior, let somebody know. Go to a local church or even call here at East Campus of First Baptist Church in Trail, Marshfield, North Carolina. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. I look to see you again in the next time we gather.